probably heard of the great resignation and newer concept of quiet quitting at work. At first glance, they seem like very different concepts, but actually the premise is the same. The status quo ain't working for us, whether it be suffering silently at work or trying to find a new job. Look, I'm sure I don't know everything about adulting and work, but there is one thing that my guest and I know about, and that will be how to change careers. And that will be the topic for today's podcast, The Science of Work, and we will be discussing how to change careers and make that scary leap. So my guest for today is Perrin Mehta, former Managing Director of APEC for Airbnb, you know, the company that you go to when you need to find a hotel room or a place to stay on holiday. Well, Parin was in charge of the regional development of the company, as well as managing teams across six regional hubs. Even before that, Parin worked at Google, where he was the general manager of Southeast Asia, based out of Singapore. Now, I usually tell you what my guest is doing right now, except that this is an episode on how to change careers, so I thought he could do that for us. Hey, Perrin. Welcome to the Science of Work podcast. Thank you for being my guest today. Thanks, Juliana, for having me. I think it's uh, wonderful that you're launching this series, and I think it will help a lot of people. No, you will help a lot of people, because today we're going to discuss career change. And I thought both of us are on this show for a reason, clearly, because both of us have had a career change. So maybe I'm just going to start with my career change very, very briefly, which is you might be aware of my story. In 2018, I left academia where I was a professor in a medical school, and I became a media entrepreneur, starting my own media company, Wild Type Media Group. It's been five great years. My team has now grown to maybe around 30, and I'm learning lots of new skills every day. What about you? Yeah, so I've done a, a few different things. Um, I actually started life as a teacher. I didn't know that. Rural Japan, yeah, a bit of a okay. surprise. Um, and then went into management consulting for a little bit. Um, and actually, I was not very good at that and didn't really enjoy the environment. But soon after, went into big tech for the next uh, 10 to 15 years where I worked at Google and Airbnb. And more recently, have transitioned out of that kind of uh, corporate big setup to go into venture building. And so what I'm currently doing now is uh, working with very small teams to build brand new companies from zero. Um, it's been about six weeks. It's been an amazing adventure. <laughs> six weeks you just started. Yeah. You're still... a baby now in a new job entirely. Absolutely. Mm. And very much uh, a beginner and mm. having to learn a lot of things from scratch and also just probably unlearn a lot of things mm. that I'd learned in the past, which uh, probably are no longer the most suitable way of getting things done. So, I mean, Airbnb must have had a very large team. So what are the differences in the sizes of the teams you're managing over the years? Yeah, so in um, Airbnb in Asia, we had nearly 500 people wow. across the whole region. Um, in our new setup, we're about 20 people. Oh. <laughs> um, and so I've gone from managing a pretty large organization across different countries um, and different levels of experience to a very small and nimble team of just two, three people. Mm. Um, so big, big shift, but uh, really enjoying um, that transition and um, being able to move really fast and make decisions very quickly. You know what I like about having you as a guest because you have all the big tech experience, you're going something new and also you are a coach. From what I understand, you are a coach for leadership development and I can I think we can read some of your, your musings on coachparent.com. Right. So is that new as well for you? So I've been interested in coaching for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I got interested originally was um, I transitioned to lead a team for the first time right? and I found very quickly within a month that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and sought help from someone who had been there and done that. And um, after going through that experience, I learned about this idea of coaching. 
and realized that that was actually something I enjoyed doing as well. And so started to practice that skill with my own team, um, had some good results. Then st other people started coming to me to look for the same. Um, and I very quickly realized that there was a big gap out there for people um, to get a trusted advisor or someone with an impartial part of view, point of view, sorry, to listen to them and understand what they're going through and help them solve uh, for problems. And so this has become something that's uh, become a really big passion of mine um, and something I now spend a lot of time on. And as you mentioned, um, during the pandemic, I set up a newsletter just to really scale this and really try and reach as many people as possible. So when it comes to executive coaching, do you coach one-on-one -on -one or leadership teams? So I, t I tend to coach one-on-one -on -one, mm. um, because then you can get into a lot more personal context um, and you can really solve for that specific individual. Um, but I have seen people do group coaching as well. I haven't do not done too much of that. I've done a little bit, um, but I prefer working with people one-on-one. -on -one. I see. It's, you know, it's more of a context spot, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. That's right. And, mm. and you can really go a lot deeper and you can really be specific around problem solving. All right. I'm just going to sag into the topic for today, which is, you know, how to change careers and make that scary leap. I used the word scary because it was scary for me. I don't know if it was scary for you, but I thought we could maybe make use of a diagram since I used to be a former lecturer, you yeah. know. For those in the listening to the audio version, of course, uh, you would have to listen to me describe it. So what you have here is the comfort zone and there are four concentric circles. The smallest being the comfort zone where we are safe, we are in control of our environment. You know, the job that I used to do, I, I, I had done it for 15 years, knew it pretty well. I knew how to be an academic. And then, of course, there's the fear zone where we are not in control, we doubt ourselves, we're making mistakes, we don't feel confident. And then we kind of have to cross the fear zone to the third zone. This is the learning zone where we are acquiring new skills, new knowledge, and, and you know, we're still learning baby, baby steps. But when we finally go into the fourth zone, this is the growth zone, where we are exploring our passions, our purpose, living life to the fullest, you know, living out our dreams. So this is something that I found on the internet. I'm sorry I cannot cite the owner of it because it's all over the place. But all I have to say, it has helped me a lot in thinking about growth and change. And maybe you could tell me your thoughts on this, this diagram. Yeah, I mean, look, where do you start? Um, you know, I think for so many of us, um, we, it sounds very obvious to say it, but we find comfort in the comfort zone. And um, it takes a lot of courage to jump out of that zone, especially when you know that jumping out of that zone means you have to um, confront fear. Mm. And um, you have to pass through the fear zone in order to get beyond that, to learning and growth. And so, you know, if I reflect on my own journey, um, there's certainly times where, and I've wanted to move away from a comfort zone to a growth zone, but I've been fearful of having to walk through the fear zone. And um, I think over time, what I've learned is that that fear zone can actually be a great source of benefit. Mm. There can actually be a lot of value, personally, in, in going through you, that. You kind of dig into the fear, right? Use the fear to propel you forward. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and really understand, you know, get a more refined view of what growth looks like for yourself. You know, I always say discomfort is not always bad. Mm -hmm. Discomfort can be good because that is that is that discomfort that makes you not stay there. You just keep have to keep moving. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I um, about six seven years ago really started boxing okay. um, a lot. And for anyone who knows me well, I'm completely mal coordinated, <laughs> um, and generally I'm not that that sporty. But um, I started doing this to really just learn something about myself, and it's become I would class it as an addiction wow uh, it's like a religion now it is it yeah. is and it's something I, I feel like i have to do on a regular basis and if i don't do it i, s I start to not enjoy kind of my day-to-day -day life 
Um, but getting punched in the face means that you kind of have to work through the fear zone. So Perrin, could you help us understand the difference between a job and a career? So just very briefly, this is how I see it. I see a job as pretty much a paycheck, you know, something we do from nine to five, and it's a bit of a more of a short-term thing. But some, a career is something more uh, of, of a journey, of a path that encompasses our entire lifetime. You know, I see, for example, an editor trying to change from one publication in mind to another as pretty much having the same kind of job. It's not a career change. But maybe a dentist trying to open a yoga studio or a banker trying to open a bakery as having a dramatic career change because they would have to unlearn everything they knew and start from scratch all over again. What is your view on the difference between jobs and careers? Yeah, so I agree with your definition of a job, so I won't dwell too much there, but I think a career is really, I think of it as um, a story with lots of different chapters. Mm. And the story is maybe a personal calling or a personal mission that each of us have that we fulfill through work. And so just to give my example, um, you know, I've always been very interested in helping people create businesses or become entrepreneurial. And so um, the work I was doing at Google was very much around helping advertisers or publishers create a business online. The work I was doing at Airbnb was helping people become mini hospitality businesses, um, providing accommodation or activities. And the work I'm doing now is to really help founders build companies from zero um, and beyond in, in a van venture-backed model. And so I think of these as all different chapters of part of the same story, um, which helps me fulfill that personal goal I have of helping people uh, create businesses. And if I kind of extrapolate forward where I could see this going is um, I would love to spend more time on the coaching because I feel like that is a really um, high-impact way for me to help more people uh, become entrepreneurial and uh, realize their own instincts of, of building ventures. Well, I can imagine if... You know, you decided to go down that path and take coaching to be, you know, more of a priority. I can see you helping lots of founders, lots of entrepreneurs, even people like myself, who really need some kind of inspiration, mentorship, and guidance on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely the guidance and mentorship, but I think even beyond that, it's um, just having someone who can listen yes. and help you structure your thoughts and process um, what a lot of what you're doing. And I mean, you'll know this better than me, but the the journey of a founder is pretty lonely. It right? is. There's times where you can't be as candid as you want with your board. You can't be as candid as you want with your executive team. And you're kind of stuck in the middle. Um, and unless you have a really great network of fellow founders or CEOs to talk to, um, it can be difficult to find someone who can, uh, without any judgment or bias, listen to what you're saying and play it back to you in a way that you can structure it in your head. So um, I think it's important work. I think it's going to be critical over the next few years because if you think of where the economy is now um, this is the great time to build companies in a downturn and so you sure I was thinking you know it's time to find a rock and climb in and hide under it well that, that's one way of doing it right <laughs> it's, is take things into your own terms and, and build a company and so I think there's going to be a lot of first-time founders over the next few years particularly in this part of the world I think sometimes it's born out of desperation like they may be retrenched and have nowhere to go it's bad economy and then they Big, I guess big companies were founded in a, in a, in a recession. 100%. Uber and Airbnb mm. both were founded um, in the last downturn in 2007, 2008. Wow. wow. So, you know, Parin, when you changed your jobs, uh, actually, I should say career, because it's a very different concept what you're working on, was it a slow burn for you? Or was it something that you had a switch in you that caused you to change and say, you know what, I'm leaving Airbnb and I'm going to do Menyala? 
Because in my case, I can tell you, my sister and I both changed our careers entirely when we found out the diagnosis of my dad being ill. Mm. So you couldn't just place a point like both of us decided to resign the next day, but it was clearly a seismic shift. In her case, she became an artist, like a, a, like a proper artist. And I moved from science, which is the most academic of things, to become a media entrepreneur. I didn't know anyone in media. So clearly something was, it was a switch for us. How about you? Yeah, you know, I think these things are a slow burn until they're not a slow burn, and suddenly they become a very fast burn. And um, actually, ironically, the word manyala means to light up or spark wow. in, in Malay. Okay. Um, and so I think that was very much uh, my circumstance as well in that, um, you know, I had no push factors from my job at Airbnb. I loved it, an amazing team, really believe and still do in the vision of the company. So there's no reason to leave. Um, and also running a travel business during COVID was a pretty tough time, but it was about to get really, really interesting, right? With the borders opening up. Complete bounce back, everything. Absolutely. So there was no real reason to leave. Um, but I knew that there was probably a different way for me to have an impact and build on that career story that I talked about around helping founders and entrepreneurs. And so um, I think some of these instincts were in the back of my head. I just didn't really know how to realize them. And another way of saying that is there was no real pull factor. Um, I hadn't come across a pull factor that was big enough where it made me want to give up what I already had. Um, but earlier in the year, I got to know of uh, this opportunity. And the more I dug into it, um, honestly, I found I was running out of reasons not to do it. Um, and I think what accelerated it as well, similar to the unfortunate circumstances you mentioned around your father, um, I also had a, a personal health issue about a year ago, um, which made me just really think through um, you know, how do I want to think about the second half of my life? Um, and where do I want to spend my time and energy? And what are some of the things that I really prioritize? And what are some of the things that maybe have run their course a little bit and are no longer important? And so, um, you know, as I looked at this opportunity and all the attributes of it, um, it just started to become very difficult to say no. And then, you know, back to your diagram, I had to really kind of confront and ask myself some tough questions as to why do you leave this great job that you really enjoy to go and do something relatively unknown where you are going to be a beginner mm. um, and you have to start from zero and you have to be willing to learn and put the hard work in. So I think uh, sometimes health is that switch for, for many of us. Yeah, 100%. And it doesn't get easier as you get older. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I sometimes, uh, you know, when I had my health issue last year, my doctor reminded me that you might think you're 25 when you box, but you're not. <laughs> see, I, see, I, I, you see, the thing about growing old, I'm, I'm, I'm close to 40, I'm 39. Yeah, me too. I still feel 21. Like, mm -hmm. I think like a young person. I don't feel old. Well, there's, there's, there's benefits as well, right? You become a lot more self-aware. You become a lot more comfortable saying no. Um, you get a lot more comfortable doing things because they make sense to you and they might not say, make sense yeah, to the rest you, of the world. So the a lot of my, my North Star, my priorities tend to be what I want to achieve mm. as opposed to what other people want to achieve. Yeah. So I think my priorities have become clearer and also I have a lot more, I'm a lot more grounded as to what I want. Yeah. I think if we, we assert our, ourselves a lot more when we grow old. Yeah, and mm. I'm sure some of your audience and you know, me and you would have been in the same position maybe 10 years ago where some of your orientation comes from outside of yeah. yourself, right? Yeah, and what desires. Yeah. yeah, our desires to please or to look good or be accepted. 
gain someone's approval. Yeah, or even be comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. it, it can be um, it can be difficult or fearful to mm-hmm. do something different that doesn't make sense to other people. So we've agreed that you know having a career change can be it can be scary. I, I think there are many many other things that come along with having a career change. Maybe Perrin, you could advise us on what we can do to prepare for that leap, that scary leap. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm a very pragmatic person. What are the practical things that we need to take care of? Maybe money, for example. Or, and what are the emotional things we need to think of? So I think there's two sides to making a career change. How do we tackle this massive, massive problem? That's a great question. You know, I, um, when you describe that, I don't know if I was as pragmatic as you maybe were or how you described it but a couple of things that really stood out to me were being really clear with myself what I wanted um, and being really clear with myself what I wanted to change about my current circumstance and being really clear if the nuka circumstance could actually provide that like could it truly was it truly what I thought it was or was I deluding myself a little bit because I think the the easiest person to fool in all these situations as ourselves right yes sometimes we can paint a false picture of what we're moving towards yes and then when we get there we realize it wasn't what we told us but how about you know for other people who are very pragmatic something like is there something like six to twelve months of savings you know is there some kind of financial hygiene matters that we should look into before we decide to you know give in our pink slip yeah look there probably is matters of head and matters of the heart Mm -hmm. i think on matters of the head Definitely, you know, having a runway for emergencies of in case things don't work out is important. I think um, making sure all the important people in your life are on board. You know, oh, that's you true. You need, you need, yeah, you need support. I, I didn't think of that. Yeah. You need them to support you because it's going to be a, tran- a huge transition. It is. And, al- and also, you know, when you start something new, it does demand quite a lot of you. So mm. you want to make sure your partner, for example, there's adequate childcare in place and you have right. arrangements between the two of you to, 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 to make provide that. So I think those are some of the more practical things. But I think on the heart side of things, I think the biggest thing is figuring out how you get to a point of courage mm. where you are, you know, again, to your diagram, you're willing to do the work to get through the fear zone and embrace the learning zone and eventually get to growth zone. So I use LinkedIn a lot. Mm-hmm. And there is this narrative on LinkedIn that there's always this toxic company that you work for as a toxic boss and the grass is always greener on the other side. I think that's a very you know, oft-used trope on the internet. And it gets lots of likes, so I can see why. But the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So what do we need to be, what, what, what do we need to look at and weigh upon before we make that career shift? Yeah, I think the, the single biggest thing is making sure that we don't delude ourselves. So being really honest about the current reality mm-hmm. and being really honest about the new reality we think we're moving to and making sure that we understand that trade-off. Because everything's about trade-offs, right? And so I think that's really the single biggest thing. So, you know, from my point of view, Parin, I think that, I, I, so I do a lot of interviews. I interview many people trying to come to join Wild Type Media, but I also help a fair number of people who DM me about career change. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that I put them in two different groups. One is I call the push group and the pull group. So the push group, and they're very cute, and, and they're usually academic, so I, I, my, my genre is academics trying to leave academia. I, I, I talk to so many of them, hundreds of them a year. And they're very cute, and they say, you know, working in the lab is not working for me. You know, uh, the hours, uh, 
the environment, the chemical, you know, whatever reason. So I consider them to be a push group. Mm -hmm. They just don't like where they are. And usually I don't find them uh, good to hire, at, at, least, at least at that point in time. Because I tell them, you've only described things that you don't like. But what makes you think you like to be a writer, an editor or whatever at Wild Type Media? It could be worse yeah. for you. And then there's a second group which I consider the, po the pool group. So they, they may come from anywhere in the world. You know, they could be um, in a completely diff different kind of line, but they want to do maybe finance from you, whatever. And they said, you know, I've always found um, education or writing about educational content, knowledge and discovery to be quite fun. For example, I like writing. I like science. I like education and I like entertainment because we do what I call edutainment, right. a combination. So it feels very nourishing. You know, instead of some of them come from commercial backgrounds where maybe they are selling like they are trying to spin Pepsi and Coke, you know, in 10 different ways and nothing new is created. Right. But in my line, they do new things every day. We are, you know, scientists are always having breakthroughs. So that is the pool group. So I find those people to be really more um, aligned with what I'm looking for. I think, uh, it, would you say that is the case too? You need to have a pool, not just a push. Yeah, I think it, it differs by the individual. I mean, um, I think generally it starts with a pull, right? Mm. Because if you go back to what we shared about a career, if it's a story with a bunch of chapters, you generally want to write the next chapter. Like That's our human desire, is to figure out what's that's next. That's true. So it's not necessarily that you're dissatisfied with the current chapter. Mm. It's just the way that book's written is that there's always the next chapter until the end. I like the way you put it because it's not that you're resigning, you're just writing the next chapter. Yeah, or you know, one, one phrasing I love is when people say they graduated I from, like a, that. from a job. They, you know, they, they came on to do a job. Um, both sides' needs were met, the employer and the employee, and it came to a, a time where it just made sense for both parties to go their separate ways. And so... Um, I don't think these these are bad things because they're just it's just the end of a chapter and it means that then you're you're then ready to write the next chapter whatever that might be. So let's say I'm ready to write the next chapter. Okay, I I'm I'm ready to cross the fear zone. I want to learn something new. How can I de-risk that next career change? Because I don't want to resign, go to my next job, and then find out that it's wrong for me. Only have to do it again. Is there any kind of simple tips I can do or little hacks to de-risk that whole leap? Yeah, look, I, th I think each person's different and how they acquire and learn information is very different. For me, I tend to learn by speaking to people and having one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so... So finding a mentor from that field. It could be finding a mentor, but it could even just be someone who's in the field and mm. just getting a sense, you know, uh, what do you like about your job? What do you not like about y your job? What do the best days look like? What do the worst days look like? What, would, what do you wish you knew before you started? And just compiling a data set in your head of lots of these different interviews. So you get lots of different perspectives. Um, and so, you know, you might not like the answers you get, but at least you're getting a completeness. You're getting a full view of how things work. I've got a radical idea. Why not spend a week or just a, a couple of days working for free for that person, just shadowing them around? Maybe if, if in a remote setting, they can just join all the Zoom meetings. Yeah. What do you think? You absolutely could. I mean, one of the things we used to screen for at Airbnb, obviously, is we, you know we were building a community of hosts, and so we would look if someone had been a host oh, or been right. part of the community because that for me was a really clear signal of motivation. That I think so. Someone who had been a host 
coming in would then understand what we were trying to do and what we were trying to build. So I think there's different ways. You know, if, if in, in the time when I was uh, hiring at these big tech companies, my first question would always be, can you tell me about when you've used the product and what feedback do you have? And sometimes people would say, well, I haven't used the product. I said, well, why would you want to, why would you want to devote the next few years of your life to working somewhere where you don't understand what we do? Or so, I don't like traveling. Yeah, or I don't like traveling. So so I think, I think it's... Um, I think it's really important to, even as the person looking to get the job, to try and immerse yourself before you get the job so you can really understand what it is. And again, is this the right next step for you in that career or in that story that you're writing for yourself? Parent, you know, I hire a number of people these days who are quite young mm -hmm. because I'm in the creative industry, I'm in media. So many of them come from the digital generation. You know, they, they grew up with social media. So I hire quite a number of young people and what I've started to observe when I put ads on LinkedIn and I get CVs, I'm starting to observe a fair number of one-year, one-job candidates. And if you think one-year, one-job is, is bad enough, I've seen some who have more than one job a year. And I've seen people maybe, you know, it's November as we are filming this, I've seen people who started jobs in May or June already applying for new jobs. And I, I think this to be a very new phenomenon because in our generation and before, people didn't do that. Even if their job wasn't perfect, they would try to dig deep and say, maybe I can make this work out. But for the, the Gen Zs of today, they might say, you know what, I'm just going to move. So how do you see this phenomenon? Is this, given that we're talking about making a career change, how can you make 10 career changes in 10 years? So where is this going to lead us? I'm not surprised it's happening. I think sometimes it also leads to a very interesting discussion. And so when I'm meeting people um, in this position, I'm less interested in what the changes are. I'm more interested in why. Mm. Why did they make changes? And sometimes it might just be a very natural progression that ties in with the story of the career that they have in mind. Um, and sometimes that's a really pleasant surprise. Uh, there's been There's been discussions I remember I've had where someone will say, you know, I've... I've changed jobs five times in two years, but wow. here's why. Here's why. And they articulate really clear reasoning and a very robust way of thinking and self-awareness, whereby when you hear it, you're like, that makes total sense. You, that's absolutely the right thing to do. So you're saying, Perrin, that the context really matters? I think it does. And I think it's amplified by the fact that we've all just been through this shared yeah. experience of a pandemic, right? It's been right? pretty traumatic for everyone. Yeah, and so I can... I can understand, I think, once where I might have had a few questions or maybe some judgment, now I'm not surprised. And I'm more interested in understanding why than what actually happened. Thank you for actually reframing the, th this discussion because I think you're giving me a different point of view of how to see what we usually term job hoppers. You know, actually, if you look at it in the converse, um, I think people who stay in the same job for... Uh, inordinate amount of time also give rise to a bit of, of questions as well don't you think mm -hmm. because why you know have you remained in that job for so long but i don't mean in the same company i think in the same company if you keep progressing if you keep getting promoted i think if your teams keep growing i think i can see why that you would stay but i think if the job doesn't change not, nothing changes about the description that could be bad too right yeah yeah it could be i mean i, I think again it comes down to the story i remember um interviewing someone a few years back who had been a software engineer their entire career and they were in their 60s so they'd been software engineering since software began 
And I remember asking her, you know, why, why have you always done this? And she's like, I was born to build software. Like, it's my life's work. And through every technological wave that's come through, I've challenged myself to become relevant and wow. figure out what it is and reinvent myself. And so even though on paper it looked like she'd been a software engineer for 40 years, she'd actually been four or five variations she of a software engineer. So she had to go through this loop multiple times. Yeah, 100%. You know, through fear, through learning, through fear, through learning. 100%. And, and my point being that, you know, reading the resume might not have told you that, but hearing the story and her articulation of why makes it all make sense. Through this entire experience, I can imagine why having an executive coach could be helpful. So you being an executive coach, how would you say an executive coach can help someone trying to make a career change? But maybe I should share that when I was trying to leave my university job to become a media entrepreneur, I too engaged an executive coach whom I'm still very close to. And she really helped me get past the fear zone. I knew what I wanted to do, parent. Mm -hmm. It's just that I needed someone to help me. So is that what you do for people in the same situation? Yeah, I, th I think you just summarized it perfectly, which is you know what you want, you need someone to help you make it happen. Um, and I think that is a big part of the role of a coach, whereby you know, if we had a mentoring relationship, for example, you might say, well, you know, Paranat, like I want to launch a podcast. How do I do that? And I would say, well, you know, to launch a podcast, you do X, Y, and Z. I think for a coaching discussion, you probably know what you want and you probably broadly know how to do it but you just need a bit of help almost working through some of the constructs here or getting to a action plan um, and getting through some of the self-doubt. And so that's a lot of the work I do on coaching is to help people really just recognize some of the things that they're thinking and figure out a way to turn that into action. So do you even help them with a plan? Like yeah. a plan of execution, you know, step one, step two, step three? Yeah, 100%. Sometimes wow. if, if that's what it takes to reach the goal, that's what we'll do. And even, you know, they come in all ages or you have to be quite senior to want to you have an executive coach. Um, I, I assume you needed to be quite, quite senior to have a coach. Well, you have, uh, you know, these days you have multi-billionaires who are 21. Oh. <laughs> you have a point, you have a point. I, I had, I remember coaching someone a few years ago. Um, she was 25. She just had a huge first exit. Wow. And the coaching problem she had was... What next? I've achieved everything I thought I was going to achieve and I'm only 25. What do I do next? Overachiever. Yeah. So, you know, that's a wonderful problem to solve. I've had another one where retired sports people, mm. um, where they reach, you know, their mid-30s and they've had, by all measures, the most successful life. And now they are thinking, how do I spend the second year of my life, a uh, second uh, half of my life? It's like Serena. She has, you know, Serena Ventures. Yeah. I think she herself has to reinvent herself. Yep. She's going through a career change as well. 100%. And I think that goes back to this idea of a, you know, being a set of chapters in a story where you ultimately need to figure out what it is you want to do with your life and then you ultimately need to figure out every few years whether you are on plan and whether you're doing the right things to achieve that goal, which I think is a good articulation of what a career is. I loved all the stories you told us today and I love the way you reframe some of these thoughts into chapters of a, a larger book which is the book of life thank you so much Perrin for being my guest today on the podcast The Science of Work it was my pleasure having you here thanks Juliana and you're doing great stuff and it's just been such a joy just to see a real life example of someone making that transition in a career Perrin before we leave could you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media or online 
Sure. So, you know, I don't spend a ton of time on social media these days. It's one of the, the changes I'm trying to make. But um, uh, during the pandemic, I started writing a newsletter and I send out a reflection question to a very wide audience around the world every single week. It gives people a reason to sit down for 10 minutes and just think through what they want, where they're going and, and how they're going to get there. And so um, anyone can sign up for free. It's at coachparin.com and it's available online. Sounds good. And of course, those who want to find me, they can find me on LinkedIn at Juliana Chan PhD. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Science of Work with me, your host, Juliana Chan. If you enjoyed listening to this version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please leave a five-star review. And of course, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, please like, comment and share this with your friends and colleagues. Hope to see you next time.